I'm Christy Bourne. And I'm Rainier Wild. Together, we're investigating the mysteries of love and relating. We get gritty and dig deep into why love is the tie that binds us together. And also drives us to our knees. This is our story. This is your story. This is Love Like Hell. I'm begging you to forgive. Please. Oh, please. There's no reason you should. It's selfish of me to even ask. I made you to look foolish, cheap. I can't think of one reason you'd keep me around. I'm not trying to be feeling sorry for me. Or deserve any of your pity. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done to you. I don't know if I can forgive you. I don't even think I know what forgiveness has even meant until this point. It's been a lot of talk. It's easy to forgive when the wound isn't very big. It's easy to forgive when you're not cut this deep. I've heard so many messages. Forgive and forget. And I'll never forget this. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to look you in the eyes. And yet, it's almost like I have to find a way. I can't be trapped in this pain. I can't be trapped in feeling foolish. I don't know what to do, but I know my ideas about forgiveness will have to change forever. This is something different entirely. Yeah, I think this whole topic of forgiveness is so loaded for so many of us. For, for, for one thing, uh, the range of what we consider as forgivable is uh, very nuanced, right? And I think in your reflection here, you actually brought it out, right? Uh, maybe I can forgive something that's quite small, but, but not something that's large. And I, I tend to think a lot of people reflect that same kind of sensibility that there's a gradient. And of course, uh, on one side is the, the thing that is easy to dismiss. And over here is the unforgivable sin. And you never know quite what that is until you cross that red line. Yeah. And the narrative that I know around forgiveness is steeped in Christian biblical truth in which the ultimate forgiveness, right, was this idea of Christ taking all of the things that we've ever done in our entire life and forgiving us from those places. That is a really big thing to compare with. That is the narrative around forgiveness. You forgive because you've been forgiven, which is a really beautiful truth. And at the same time, when it's challenged and your whole structure your ego, your identity, everything has been in some ways obliterated um, to say, oh yeah, yeah, this is what I do. 
A plus B equals C. Of course, it's simple. I forgive because I've been forgiven. That was the model in which, um, you know, I kind of think that's what I was trying to build upon. But in this situation, I only could see heartbreak. I, I didn't know how I was going to cross that crevasse. Yeah, I and mean, what an interesting tension. You know, you're talking about on one hand, there's this culture that is um, rooted in a model of redemptive forgiveness, right? This idea that there is nothing, nothing that is unatonable, right? That, that you can actually experience true and lasting forgiveness in this lifetime, not just you, but all of us. And in fact, that we are all unworthy of that forgiveness and all can access it. So I, I do want to pause and just say, what a beautiful paradigm that is from a theoretical framework. I think that is just magnificent. Now I say that as someone who, um, who has felt like they've, they've uh, necessitated a lot of forgiveness in their life um, and ask for forgiveness quite a bit, but I've also given it. And one of the things that I tend to think when I hear you talk about this is that we are actually missing um, models for framework for forgiveness in our contemporary society. That it is one of the things that is in fact absent in a secular society maybe even in a contemporary Christian society, you do not quite simply find roads to redemption anymore. If someone fucks up bad enough, if someone um, really kicks the can down the field hard enough, they're done. We live in such a populated world, 7.8 billion, 8 billion people and counting, that we don't actually need to forgive you. We can forget you. Because there is someone with less baggage who can take your place and do the exact same thing and has the exact same skill set. We don't really need you and we don't need to forgive you. So I think that there is a level of disposability on the other side. So here we have the culture you grew up in that demanded a kind of forgivingness. And on the other hand, a society that I think is very unforgiving. And both these are extremes. Yeah, I don't even think that there was something in between for me and my understanding was it was anything can be forgiven. Everything can be forgiven. And I really love how you said that. What a beautiful framework that you're no longer tied to the heaviness or the pain or whatever it is that you're carrying around or those deeds. There is a place to what? This big word like find redemption. and. Even in that, there are places that in theoretical ideology, that sounds really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then something happens in your life and everything is tested. So it sounds like a good idea. If someone lies to you, if someone takes something from you when you're a child, great. The stakes get bigger as you get older, as you accumulate more and more what baggage, experiences, relationships, more is on the line. And so it starts to change how that, how that really feels. And now we're not just in the theoretical, we're in the practical. And that is really hard. I've had other really kind of interesting advice saying, well, you know, you don't have to forgive at all. And I, I didn't really necessarily jive with that perspective 
maybe because it was my upbringing, I felt like there has to be a way to move forward. I do think forgiveness is part of this, but what part? And so um, that's been a big quest of mine. And I love how you talked about contemporary references. Like, who are we seeing? I think we're seeing a lot of justice and we're seeing a lot of, I can unfriend you, I can unfollow you, I can give you the cold shoulder, or I can punish you, really. Or, out, you know, you can throw someone out. Um, but making a way forward, that's really tough. Yeah. And of course, when we talk about justice, we're really talking about punitive justice, right? This idea of punishment, as opposed to redemptive justice, which is this idea that perhaps if a person has been caught stealing, that justice is not punishing them. Justice is making it so they are a thief no more. It is the righting of wrongs. It is the setting of things right. And I think that's a powerful model, again, um, and one that is shockingly absent. But before we talk about different models or different frameworks, I guess one of the things I'm really curious about is what was that like for you um, in the situation that we found ourselves in you know, you were really up against a wall in some ways. Um, there was this kind of cultural pressure, perhaps, that maybe you found yourself in. I don't know. Um, but what were the thoughts that were going on in your head at that time um, that, were, that were kind of working themselves into you? Well, the thoughts that I had at that time was desperation and... I think I, I could see that I was dancing around with such resentment uh, and anger and uh, hate. And all of those things are a heavy, those are such a heavy burden to keep walking around with. Like, how long can I sustain this? <laughs> I think uh, is part of the question for me. Uh, and so I started asking my questions like, well, what are the ways forward? Because this is really like eating at me, this situation, the pain that I felt. Um, and so I really had to start to dig deep and try to figure out, well, what, I, what do I want to do with anger and hate and rage and all of these things? So that's where I started was, I have to be able to shift some of this. I know I can't walk around with this. No matter what happens with you and I, even if we don't end up together, if I hold on to all these things and take them with me, I will be such a miserable person. And this story that we have will continue to grow in, in our collective life. So I know at that point, something had to shift. Something had to move. Right. And there aren't really contemporary sources that talk about this in detail, are there? Or, or, or are there? I went to do a little bit of research. <laughs> you are so spot on. And where I came to land was the Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. And, um, and it was a beautiful story in which he talks about... Um, just the fact that you are considering forgiving someone is such a beautiful step. That means that there's space in your heart. That is like the very first part of that book. 
that you are considering letting go of something that's been done to you is the most beautiful act just to consider it. And that was like balm on my heart. Like, I'm going to be okay because I'm considering a way forward. Yeah, there's got to be um, almost a, a willingness. And I think, I think uh, Desmond Tutu talks about this, that, that what preempts even forgiveness is a willingness to forgive, a willingness to consider forgiveness. And I think that that is such a necessary stage that, that um, emerges up front because you're not there yet. You're not exactly in the place. And, and, and obviously there's our situation that I'm referring to in which there had been tremendous um, lies, deceit, infidelity, and, and of course, ultimately a, a powerful betrayal. But, but also um, we've seen a number of individuals and couples who um, they're just not prepared to let go. I'm thinking of, um, of individuals who maybe have a parent who has really wronged them. And, you know, I think that covers the gamut from outright abuse and neglect and, and trauma all the way down to just mm, poor fit and uh, an inability to, to uh, give them the needs that they, they needed at the time. But I think that the ability to forgive sometimes has eluded those people and they've almost needed to come to a place even before they could consider forgiveness, which looked like finding the willingness in their heart. A prayer before the prayer. I want to be willing to forgive, but I dare not ask for the will to forgive in case you give it to me. And I not yet ready. I am not yet ready for my heart to soften. I am not yet ready to be vulnerable again not yet ready to see that there is humanity in my tormentor's eyes or that the one who hurt me may also have cried. I am not yet ready for the journey. I am not yet interested in the past. I am at the prayer before the prayer of forgiveness. Grant me the will to want to forgive. Grant it to me, not yet, but soon. Can I even form the words, forgive me? Dare I even look? Do I dare to see the hurt I have caused? I can glimpse all the shattered pieces of that fragile thing, that soul trying to rise on the broken wings of hope, but only out of the corner of my eye, I am afraid of it. And if I am afraid to see, how can I not be afraid to say, forgive me? Is there a place where we can meet, you and me, the place in the middle, the no man's land, where we straddle the lines, where you are right and I am right too, and both of us are wrong and wronged? Can we meet there and look for the place where the path begins? the path that ends when we forgive. What a powerful truth from someone who lived it. And I think that um, this is something that is really striking to me. You know, Anthony DeMello said that most of what passes for justice is really revenge. 
But of course, on planet Earth in the 20th century, there are some places where real forgiveness was not wrapped up in revenge. It was wrapped up in the gritty and tangible uh, transaction of holding people accountable and also then releasing them. Um, and that was, of course, Desmond Tutu and, and this whole process that you're referring to and, and who the poem that you just um, read was by. Yeah, so in South Africa, they had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in which someone who had been wronged would hear from the person that had done this deed. And when we're talking wronged, we're not talking like a little boo-boo. We're talking about genocide, murder. Yeah, we're talking about the killing or slaying of a family member. And the person who had done that would come before the family and share their story and in some ways ask for forgiveness. And this was so effective because it allowed for the scene of another person. And it took away this idea that we're monsters. And it gave people back their humanity. And that was the purpose. The purpose was telling the story. And the purpose was for them to name the hurt that had happened. And if forgiveness was possible. One thing that kind of jumps off the page to me whenever we've reviewed these histories or talked about these things is that, you know, this was a nation that was involved in this whole process. Now, what's interesting about a nation being involved in a reconciliation, a forgiveness process, is that they have to live with each other. There's no jumping off ship, right? They could put everyone in prison, but it seemed like half the population was involved in one side or the other of, uh, of an awful lot of violence. It's very difficult to put 50% plus maybe of the population in prison. They had to find a way to make through. And I think that that is uh, a dilemma that many of us don't really think about. Again, going back to that disposability factor. But if you decide to stay, if you decide to continue on in the connection, like, of course, this whole nation was, uh, was locked in that reality, then you're going to have to create an effective system for addressing what happened and then also potentially moving forward. And that's what they did. They were able to stand in those places together and to listen. And they created spaces for listening and holding that. And I don't know how all those stories went and all those enormous atrocities, but they allowed for redemptive moments or they allowed for the person who had caused the pain to look at who they had hurt. And I think it changes both members when we stand in the pain together, when we both don't run the victim and the victimizer, if you want to say it that way, or there's plenty of other ways to say it, but you stand in that. And I love this. I'm not ready to see that there's humanity in this other person's eyes, right? Because we want to, we don't want to look at that. And that's so powerful when we meet each other that way. 
Right. It's far more convenient to view them as a one-size-fits-all kind of villain. Actually, I was just reading a portion of a novel to you by Stephen King this morning, totally unrelated, and it told this just horrific story about a, a, a young boy who his father had uh, brutally beaten him. It was real sad. I mean, just gripping. And, and the way it was told rather instantaneously, your gut dropped and you're left hating the father. But Stephen King rather deftly within the next couple of paragraphs makes you realize not in terms of creating an exception or necessarily creating some kind of permission, but creates a reality where suddenly you feel an immense amount of compassion for the father himself. He was suffering from horrific flashbacks and PTSD, probably didn't even recognize his son actually in that moment. And suddenly you're gut sick because it's not just the child who's suffering. It's not just the victim. It's also the victimizer. And of course, this is, this is really, you know, I think that, that powerful quote by Mother Teresa, that the hand of the victim and the hand of the victimizer are the same hand. Um, but we're not always ready to see that. We're not always ready to see that they're actually human, that they're the product of the circumstances that led them here. Sometimes we want to kind of hold that moral high ground. No, no, I'm the one who got hurt, damn it. I'm curious for you, how you approached that moment and what enabled you to approach that moment? Well, I want to go back to something first that you said about there is this interesting place where the victimizing that you're talking about, that this isn't my problem. This isn't my fault. This has been done to me and it's easy to blame. And so I think within that, you're the one with the problem and I don't have it. And so... Once I step into that, just like that story with Stephen King, there's a reason there's something in this behavior that caused that. And once I step outside of that victim place, I think that's what forgiveness does. It allows us to step outside of this victim role. And we move from being that to then being more heroic. In our own story, being more empowered in our own story besides this thing happening to me. And we have the opportunity to grow through forgiveness. I think what enabled me to forgive was, first of all, the desire to move forward. I didn't want to be stuck in the narrative or the pain of the past. That was my motivation. I didn't want to be stuck. I didn't want to haul this around. I didn't want to be the person at the party bringing their story with them, that it was a tragic story. I didn't want to bring shame with me. And that was the motivation. I feel like if I would hold on to that story, it would be just like it had happened over and over and over to me. And I would continue to be a victim of that thing that felt so personal. And I did not want that kind of life. I also really love you. And I saw your humanity. 
Yeah, I think here, you know, you're really hitting on something that sometimes forgiveness can arise out of compassion. And it really is that understanding that the person in front of you is flawed and fallible and making a mistake. I think that that compassion means being able to see that their mistakes are often not necessarily personal, though they hurt us in really personal ways. And part of what I'm actually hearing is that you were able to find within yourself the ability to have that kind of compassion, to engage that dialogue at all, that actually it was accessing that resource of inner compassion that allowed for you to hear the conversation. I also want to point out something, and maybe this is um, unnecessary to say, but I really didn't qualify my apology. It was total and absolute. I knew I was in the wrong. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people who have been down the same road. And one of the things when they approach that sharing of authenticity in different kinds of dilemmas, there's a lot of hemming and hawing. There's a lot of an attempt to still be right, still look good. They still want to have control of the situation. At that point, for me, I was done with that game. It wasn't terribly interesting anymore to me. Being right, looking good, had gotten me here. And if I was going to get out of here, I was going to have to shed that particular kind of game. I think that is, at least in some part, where a reconciliation has to begin. Yes. And forgiveness, you've heard people say, um, will you forgive me? Like You've heard people say that kind of phrase. That puts a lot of pressure on people, right? Well, will you forgive me? It doesn't really allow for a genuine response besides make sure I'm okay. Will you make sure I'm okay? Am I okay? And the idea is that forgiveness is a gift and that we don't even have to accept to, we can just say, thank you. Like we can have an experience that's totally genuine. We don't have to say, I forgive you. That's not how you feel in the moment. There's no timing on forgiveness, right? There's no forcing. There's no timeline. When you know it's right is when your heart is ready. And you'll know when that is. How long can you hold these burdens? But you cannot force your will upon someone. You can only offer it, whether that's giving or receiving, and then letting go. Right. And, and you know, I think that the, the qualifier here is that it is easy if you're the person who has done the wrong to quickly want them to alleviate your own guilty conscience. Will you say that you forgive me, please, so that I can move on with my life? You're kind of holding me hostage here to your forgiveness process. We really want that. But here's the thing. If that is the qualifier for why you've apologized in the first place, 
then you're really not apologizing. That's a tactic. (laughs) That's just trying to get what you want, to eliminate guilt. That's not actually out of a deep or sincere place. When you're operating from that deep and sincere place, what you're doing is acknowledging that that action was wrong, no matter if the other person is willing to forgive you or not, it was still wrong. In this case, I broke my agreements. I betrayed you. I was clear on that. Now, there may be a lot of complexity to that situation. There may be a lot of reasons. There may be a lot of structural analysis that we could apply to it. But at the end of the day, I was totally clear. I was wrong. And I wasn't going to demand that you forgive me, even though I desperately wanted it. And I felt at times that pressure to forgive. I wanted to give it to you. I wanted to step inside that and alleviate you of that pain. And at the same time, I knew that I couldn't because I hadn't really walked through my own story of understanding. And I wanted it to mean something, that forgiveness. I wanted it to be an experience that I could say, I understand what happened. I understand who I am. And I understand that forgiveness is a place in which we're no longer beholden to this event. Now, also what I've learned about forgiveness, it is not that forgive and forget model that a lot of us have grown up with, is that forgiveness is a continuation. It happens over and over and over again because we have memory, because smells bring up experiences, because we might see something and what? Be triggered by it. Does that mean that I didn't forgive? No, it means that something came up and pain right, showed up again. And my job is to come back to that, be honest about it, and in our relationship, let you know that that flared up again. Yeah. And, you know, when that happened, I look back on those moments. Those weren't easy moments, you know, especially because you tend to think, well, gosh, you know, that got forgiven then and there. We worked really hard for that forgiveness moment. There was a lot of setup that went into that. And now, turns out she's angry again. You know, there was always a split second of that, if I'm honest, right? That would kind of flash through my mind. The thing that would enter my mind is the same thing that allowed for this conversation in the first place, which was an acknowledgement of wrongdoing that says, oh yeah, (laughs) it was wrong then. It's still wrong now. I hurt that person then. They're still hurting now. So my responsibility is actually the same. It's to take accountability for what I did and to stand in that place. I want to say that in my experience with you, it is exceptional that someone will take responsibility. So I'm thinking about all those people out here that something's happened to them and people haven't taken responsibility for their actions. One of the beautiful things in relating and working these things over and over again. And I don't take that lightly. We work things over and over again. And that is such a gift and a privilege. 
But I know that there's many people that don't get the chance to do that. And something has happened to them. That person has left or vacated or denies it or gaslights or, or whatever those things are. And they don't get the chance to have someone say, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I take responsibility. And so it leaves them with, well, can I forgive them if I don't hear those things? And the answer is, anything's possible, right? Anything's possible. We don't necessarily need someone to take responsibility to forgive them. Our process is our process. It's always easier if someone can stand in there and take responsibility for their pain that they've caused to you. I think this is really interesting because what we're talking about is two people involved in related processes, but that are actually independent of one another. So on my hand, you know, or on the account of the wrongdoer, there's a process by which they reflect and come to an understanding that what they did was wrong. Right? It's kind of a self-focused process where I look deeply inward and I examine my own heart and I, and I say, okay, do I know that what I did was wrong? Do I know that what I did hurt you? Do I understand why it hurt you? Do I understand why I did it? Do I acknowledge today that doing it was an unkindness? That, that doing it was wrong. And can I demonstrate how I got to this newfound conclusion when previously I was able to engage in that behavior? So that's a, that's a inherent inward journey. That's a process that one person really has to go through. But what you're saying is the other person goes through their own independent process where they look at their own story, their own life, and they examine uh, enough of the situation to say, this person is more than the thing they did to me. This person is more than the amalgam of the actions. I'm able to understand it. I'm able to, to sift through it. And more than that, I am more than what this person did to me. Yeah, I love that. That, that last bit is so beautiful. I am more than what has happened to me. Man. In some of those experiences, our identity and our ego and who we are in the world is so tied up in it that we can't see any different. The thing you did to me means that this is who I am in the world. And that, right, that kind of affliction can feel like, how do I ever forgive you from you making me feel this certain way? I think one of the powerful things that can happen in relating together in this is being vulnerable enough to share how that has affected you. I think some of the most powerful moments that we had was seeing the pain that each other were experiencing. Pain is a great indicator of humanity, but pain is also really hard to hold. When you could see me broken in that particular situation and I could see how it affected you, that also changed my heart as well. I'm thinking of a very low level example of this kind of process that we're talking about. Um, I was driving along with one of our kids and he told me that a friend had 
kind of been picking on him and saying some unkind things. And it had happened on multiple occasions. And eventually he spoke up. He said, hey, this is hurting my feelings. And I said, well, how did they respond? And he said, well, they told me they were sorry. I said, oh, great. They apologize. He said, well, no, dad. You taught me how to apologize with sincerity. And so I know the difference between saying sorry and truly apologizing for something. And I asked him, I said, well, what's the difference? And he said, taking responsibility. And of course, there's, there's more to it than that. It's knowing that what you did was wrong. It's taking responsibility for those actions. And it's the willingness to engage in a process of making it right. What can I do to make this right? That was something we drilled into our kids, actually. See, here I'm going to confess something. I'm going to confess that I actually think there is nothing that is unforgivable in this life. I realize that's a, that's a bold statement. Allow me to also counterbalance that by saying that extending forgiveness when there is an absence of responsibility taking is actually losing yourself. You actually lose yourself in that process. So there's two things that are necessary taking full responsibility, and then actually accepting your part of that process. And also, I would add to that that it might be important for you to forgive yourself. There's another level of forgiveness that forgiving yourself in those situations is a really powerful tool as well that helps you move forward and others move forward. And let's say there's no one that is taking responsibility per se for what had happened. Um, letting yourself experience an amount of grace for being in a situation where you didn't speak up, being in a situation where you didn't communicate your unhappiness, being in a situation in which you withheld parts of yourself and lied, forgiving yourself for those actions is an important part of the process too. So taking responsibility. Absolutely. But then turning it on yourself and say, I have to let myself move forward as well. This person, they might be letting me move forward. Great. But I can hold myself back from true healing as well. What parts of yourself did you need to forgive in order to forgive me in that process? I felt like I needed to forgive myself for um, not really being who I was in relationship with you um, for acting like things were fine when they weren't for pretending to be happy when I wasn't for putting on a facade in our relating for closing my eyes even if I knew something was wrong for not trusting my instincts and the list goes on and on and on. You had to engage in a self-forgiveness process as well. Something you said earlier really struck me here. You said it's, it's really easy to uh, just turn someone off, just mute them and, and not engage in this process, not engage in this connecting process of reconciliation and repair. And 
I want to note that in this disposable culture, we see that. We see that happen a lot. Um, not just in intimate relationships, which would be a very high level of it, but in social media, friendships, connections. We unlike pretty quickly. We unfollow pretty quickly. We block, we mute, we ghost. I mean, you see it a lot. I think, you know, honestly, I've been on both sides of that. I get that. Sometimes it's helpful. When do you not forgive? When do you turn away? When do you not forgive? Well, I think that if safety is a question, that's the number one. So my physical safety, my mental safety, um, when I'm in imminent danger, I don't think that's something that, um, that you really mess around with. One of the structures that I heard was you renew a relationship, you restore a relationship, or you release a relationship. And I kind of like that model is like letting something go that is no longer healthy, is no longer functioning for you. Um, and, you know, safety without a question is the first one. But it doesn't have to be just because of safety, of course, um, if people don't respect your boundaries. Right. And again, I think the the conditions for forgiveness really have to be merited or necessitated. So first of all, I think they exist, right? That actually you can forgive. Forgiveness is possible. It is ultimately a practical process if you choose to not release. I, I like that that model. But within that, I think there do have to be certain criteria. And we've been hitting on them this whole time. Um, one of them, I think, absolutely has to be an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, like a, a process of self-awareness. I think another that you said was remorse. Not only do I acknowledge what happened, but then I show remorse. I'm sorrowful for what happened. That's really, really important. And that, I think, demonstrates how I got here, right? It's like, mm, I was able to do this thing. <laughs> I felt fine about doing this thing. Now I feel badly about it. How did I get here? How did I get from point A to point Z? What was the journey? I've almost got to take you on that journey and say, okay, here's what happened to get me to this. Sometimes it's as simple as I saw your face. I saw the eyes of the person that I betrayed as, as it melted. And, uh, and it melted my own heart. I suddenly realized, oh my God, what have I become? Sometimes it really can be that simple. I think the other thing that you've said is really like not accepting intentions anymore, only actions, right? What is the, the plan for changed behavior here? Well, definitely moving forward in relationship, especially in intimate relating, uh, I needed to see that there was going to be a different future. And so uh, if we weren't going to stay together, I would say, man, that idea of releasing those things would have been just as important. But to forgive and stay in relationship, there had to be a marked difference. I needed to see that things on your end were different or you were changing them, that you did have remorse. That was an important piece. Can't stay in relationship intimately when you say sorry, but you don't mean it. And the stakes are just as high. 
and they keep growing and they keep um, magnifying. So I have to be able to see that before I can commit to something in that kind of relationship again. Right. That actually you may be able to forgive me, but your ability to connect to me within that would be diminished. Right. The, the idea of renewing relationship. I don't know if I want to renew this relationship if nothing's changing. Right. I might release it. I see it. I hear it. I hear what's going on. And you know what? We can part our ways. But in order to renew that and to make something, uh, create something new, um, that takes something entirely different. Forgiveness is a creative process. If you decide to stay connected, that means we imagine differently after this point. Right. And, you know, unlike a, a message I heard uh, very young, which was forgiveness is to make something of no consequence. Sounds really great, but I'm just actually not sure if I buy it because the reality is our whole life has consequence. The actions that I undertook then and there continue to impact us, continue to affect us. Part of this is a, is a place of radical acknowledgement. It's acknowledging what is. It's saying, actually, no, this is of consequence. This is of great consequence. Our lives may forever bear a scar with this. We have to be able to acknowledge reality, how we've impacted each other and how we continue to. I think that is just so damned important. Yeah. I worked with folks who want to continue to carry that luggage around with them. And I see the detriment is like, I have to carry the past. I have to carry it because no one will acknowledge and, and see what this is. And if I don't carry this around, I'll forget. And I say, you won't forget. You won't forget. But it doesn't have to be a burden on your back anymore. That's what forgiveness is, is I don't have to wear it. It doesn't have to be baggage anymore. I'm not going to forget it, but I don't have to live with it in the forefront of my mind for forever. Yeah. And this really, again, points to forgiveness as a gift you give to yourself. That it is, it is ultimately not about the other person. Wait, say that again. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. It's not ultimately about or directly reflective of the other person. Although the process for renewing a relationship, any kind of relationship, may necessitate certain kinds of behaviors from that other person. Yeah. When I, when I hear you say that, I'm forgiving you. And it transforms me and it has the power to transform you as well. But in reality, that is the gift I give myself. So I'm no longer be held in to that kind of burden, that kind of pain. This is a resentment clearing process in some ways. And I think we'll probably talk about this at a future time because resentments is its own kind of topicality, especially as you continue to. Um, build water under the bridge. But I think that forgiveness is a large clearing process, right? In which you really flush the poison out of the wound and you're able to then potentially bind it back up and move forward. Yeah. 
And this portion, right, like forgiving is you work through the story, the story of what happened. You talk about how it's impacted you. And you don't shy away from that. This is a place of honest conversation. And you hold each other's burdens. I think the reason why I knew that there had to be a path for forgiveness, because I know that this world can be a better place than us just hurting one another over and over and then turning our back and walking away. I believe that there was something different. Yeah, I mean, again, this is in part why I would look over at your nightstand and I would see a stack of uh, books by Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu and all of these figures who played very large in that whole uh, reconciliation movement and forgiveness movement. And, you know, you were really questing out from the people who had lived it. It wasn't theoretical. It was like people who had actually actively dedicated their lives to, um, to this. And one of the things I remember you said, which I, I found so striking, you said, they're so joyful. Like they're so childlike happy, actually, when they talk or the interviews. And of course, these are people who have had a number of atrocities, horrible, um, horrible things done to them. The Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, all these figures who you did quite a bit of reading on, who have made a practice in their life of joy, all said that forgiveness for them was one of the vital aspects of having lasting, permeating joy. I absolutely loved that part is that they were able to find joy in their journey. And I believe that for, for each one of us. And I wanted to believe that for you and I. And again, we never know what the end of our road will be in relationships. But I wanted to consider all the possibilities. I wasn't just happy with the things that I already knew. <laughs> I hit some dead ends there. The desire was, I want to create a better future for you, for me, and how to move forward. We can no longer be carrying these things around. <laughs> Other people have done it. And man, they've experienced stuff that's way more catastrophic. We can walk in this. We can learn this. Right. And again, every path is different. Right? You might have to release something that doesn't work, that's not healthy or safe. You might have to say like, oh my gosh, we can do this. This is a creative response. We got this. Let's create something new and renew what we have and restore something back to health. I know that we're talking about romantic relationships here, but one of the things that comes to mind is a relationship I had with a family member um, and a tremendous amount of, um, of unacknowledged pain across a lifetime. And I'm thinking about a moment in time where 
I made a phone call. And the phone call took the form of this. Hey, this thing happened. The story I told about it was this. The way I interpreted that was this. The way that impacted my life was this. I release you from carrying the burden and the weight of my interpretations. I acknowledge that my story about reality is not the same as reality. Now, that's not exactly like your standard forgiveness trope, but I got to tell you, that releasing, that clearing was like the most powerful forgiveness process that I know. The resentment of the years left me in that moment. It's hard to describe without even getting emotional. It was such a powerful thing. It was me stating, here's the facts that I understand now as a grown adult. Here's the interpretation I put upon it. Here's the way that interpretation shaped my life. And I now release you of the burden of my interpretations. You're free to just be you again. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. And here's what happened. (laughs) They literally said, I don't want to fight about it. (laughs) That was the response. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> it was like the words that I had used were, were like gibberish to them. It was so insane uh, for them to even hear that kind of languaging. And I said, well, of course, we're not going to fight about it. You're who you are in my life. You're always going to be that in my life. And I love you. It was a beautiful moment, much more beautiful, I think, for me than them. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot of times that old narrative, and you were talking about earlier when we started this podcast, that the old narrative was this Christian narrative that we were raised in. Maybe a lot of people out there have been raised in a similar kind of place. You know, I think it'd be hard culturally not to have that kind of influence to some extent that says, well, you must forgive. And that forgiveness leads to a reconciliation. And that reconciliation leads to a renewed relationship. I got to tell you, when I released that, burden and stepped into that place of deep forgiveness of years, one of the things that also got released in me was the need to continue to be in relationship with them. See, actually that unforgiveness had anchored me, had hooked me into relationship with them. I kept wanting to impress them or change their mind or shift them or or tweak the facts or convince them or do something. Once I stopped actually holding that, I didn't need that from them anymore. And I didn't need to continue to put myself in that posture. It reminds me of the when we accept, right? What is versus resist reality. You stepped into that releasing of what was. And the more we resist something, say, I don't like it, or the more we think about this situation or the person that does this harm that we've interpreted the more it has control over us, the more we obsess about it, the more we have stories that keep going on and on. And when we do that, that example of having a hook, I'm pulled back into that drama and I can't get away from it. So that is such a beautiful picture of 
I'm actually the one letting go. You don't have to change a thing. You didn't require that person to change anything in that situation. It was you that did it. And then you felt the release. And what I want to say to that is that takes, you know, a lack of ego, right? That you can say, okay, I don't need that thing to make me who I am. I'm okay. You know, I think in all these counts, what we're really talking about are people not addicted to being right or to looking good. And that's the, that's the journey of ego right there. Ego needs to look good. Ego needs to be right. We'll do anything to be right, to prove its point. So often it comes down to that perhaps, uh, you know, almost cliche statement, but I think it holds such relevance. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Now, I said that one time to someone and they said, well, I mean, I don't know why I have to choose. (laughs) I like that too. But actually, I think in reality, they're two separate games entirely. And we usually pursue being right like it would mean that we're going to be happy. It rarely works that way. That all-out pursuit of rightness rarely ends us up in happiness. Forgiveness, releasing, taking responsibility. Ultimately, that's the journey not of being right, but of actually finding profound and lasting happiness, joy. And it helps us find a way forward. Either way, we're no longer stuck. If we release something, we have a way forward. If we renew something, we have a way forward. When I consider the possibility of forgiveness, it allows me more possibilities in life in relationship to the person that I'm in, in relationship to myself. And it allows me to put responsibility back on myself and the other person. I no longer have to say, I'm okay if you're okay. You know, that codependency way. I can say, I'm okay no matter what. Mm. It's beautiful. There's a lot here, a lot here in this process of beginning to have a new relationship. Yeah, because that's what actually this is all about. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Like Hell. We appreciate your support so much. Listen, would you do us a small favor? If you love the show, will you leave a fabulous five-star review? And don't forget to share this with all your friends. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Rainier. And I'm Christy. Live like mad and love, love like, like hell. Love like hell. That, that was my signature. Oh. Line. <laughs>